If he loses, it doesn't matter what his price was in a way, too, because if he was 20 to 1, you know, the world would want to bet on him. But if he doesn't run well enough or he happens to have trouble and can't win, what for whatever reason he doesn't win, it doesn't really matter what his price is because you're not going to cash your ticket. There were these two racing dudes named Aaron and Jared who had to buy some racing and they wanted to share it. Started a website where players go to see all their picks. The goal was make the fans some money and to cut down the risk. They put the plan into motion and at first it seemed silly. Make a website where the expert picks are freer than Willie. From a racetrack veteran to just a beginner. There's one place that you want to go to find you a winner. As a matter of fact, I want to hit the exacta. There's only one site that you'll keep coming back to. So next time that the horses all line up at the post Make sure you use the website that'll win you the most Whether Churchill, Oakland, Gulfstream Parks, and Matoga And all tracks in between, there's only one side to go to When it comes to your racing needs and all of your bets Plus it's got a catchy name that no one ever forgets RacingDudes.com for all of your needs RacingDudes.com for all of your leads RacingDudes.com for all of your bets RacingDudes.com as good as it gets RacingDudes.com for all of your needs RacingDudes.com for all of your leads, RacingDudes.com For all of your bets, RacingDudes.com As good as it gets What is up? I'm Jared Welch, he's Aaron Halterman This is Blinkers Off What's up, my man? What is up, man? Always the best Blinkers Off ever all years when John White comes on, right? So we are, we're ready and, and I love it because we don't have to do anything when he comes on <laughs> Yeah, it's great content. The people get what they want, and we just kind of sit and listen. Uh, so you know, it's it's we don't have to prepare anything. We because honestly, the draw just happened a little over an hour ago, uh, and we are digesting it still and trying to kind of weed out what to you know how we're gonna play this. So it's just as beneficial for you and I yep. to sit here and listen to him as it is to anybody that's gonna listen to this uh, you know after the fact. So to me, it, it it's exciting because it's like. We talk to John every single day, but it's like, I want to get his real thoughts after the draw to see what his final, you know, even Samich earlier was like, hey, let me know what he says about Rock Your World. Because, I mean, John is a legend. You want to know what his thoughts are on the Derby, the biggest race of the year, you know, when it comes to these three-year-olds. Oh, you're exactly right. There's there's no question about that. I am, uh, I'm really pumped and I'll, I'll just be completely honest. I am between three horses going into this interview. And when the interview's over... That's it. I'm making the decision. So he's going to he's gonna try to sway me one way or the other here without even knowing it. So, yeah, it's exciting to have him on. And for, and for those of you that don't know who John White is, I encourage you to do a little research because you should know. But, you know, John, if there's anyone's opinion um, that you should listen to in this game, it's John. He's been in the game forever. Uh, you know, he's Antonio Morning Line odds maker, does the Breeders' Cup when the Breeders' Cup's out there. He's literally had every job in horse racing uh if there's someone that you want to lean on when it comes to these big races this guy i mean he's as automatic as it comes and he and listen just sit back and, and you know you're you got depending on what time it is or maybe not it's derby week so go pour a drink or whatever you know because this is gonna be a you know we and we told john by the way so you go into this hopefully like we'll see but hopefully it's about an hour because we said john yeah. We're busy. Like, we were going to do it yesterday. I want to make sure, like, we were going to do it yesterday. And John's like, you know, we should do it after the draw. It's going to give everyone the best show possible. We're like, all right, you got an hour. Because we've got, you know, we're working on the guide, the picks, everything. I mean, this is, you know, we're, we're slammed. The, the full card's about, about ready to come out for Saturday as well. Seven yeah. stakes on the entire card on Saturday. So we said, John, you got an hour. Let's talk derby. And he's ready, man. 
let's get him on. All right, let's do it. Let's uh, yeah, today's show. We interview John White, Santanita, morning line odds maker, longtime horse racing journeyman who gives us thoughts on the upcoming 2021 Kentucky Derby, including the strongest bets and favorite long shots to use in the run for the roses. Let's go. They're off in the Kentucky Derby. It's the time we've all been waiting for. You know, this time of the year, it's great to have the Kentucky Derby back in May. And, of course, you can't have a Kentucky Derby conversation without talking to our great friend, Santanita Morningline Oddsmaker, a longtime horse racing journeyman. He's, you name it, he's done it in horse racing. John White. John, what's up, my man? What's going on? Yeah, Santanita and Delmar Morningline Maker. Oh, hey, there you go. Add that to the mix. And, of course, you do the Breeders' Cup whenever they're out there as well, right? Yes, and uh, that will be out here our way this uh, particular fall. So this will be my seventh Breeders' Cup of making Morning Lions odds for. Well, that will be uh, – that's pretty cool. I mean, of course, we were talking we, – we, we, um, you know, don't listen – don't get let your head get too big when you listen to the uh, introduction of this show because we really pumped you up. I mean, this is – if there's a guy we lean on, and that's, you know, we obviously cover this for a living, but we, you know, we kind of go into this every year thinking, all right, well, we have our opinions, but what's John think? So the draw just happened about an hour ago. Uh, we were talking a little bit off air, a little bit what happened. So what were your big takeaways from the draw? Well, it certainly got dramatic toward the end, uh, particularly for uh, essential quality because obviously nobody wants that dreaded inside post position. Uh, I remember looking at Lucky, who was my selection for the race, went off as the favorite and got annihilated uh, in the early part of the race after breaking from that inside post. In fact, uh, talking with my father uh, after that draw, who unfortunately has passed away, but uh, and this was always a big day uh, for him in the year. In fact, this was a big week for my father and he's the guy that got me interested in horse racing so i owe a lot to my father who also was the best man at my wedding which took place at the santa anita church across the street from santa anita park (laughs) but uh my father was just loved the kentucky derby draw he loved horse racing it was the thing he loved the most but it's the thing he loved the second best was the nfl and it's draft week, and he absolutely loved the NFL draft, so he would have been in heaven this week. But after uh, looking at Lucky Drew, the inside post position, he said to me, he says, you know, if I was Baffert, I would scratch him, <laughs> <laughs> which I laughed because, look, guys, I, I said, Dad, Bob Baffert is not scratching the favor from the K- Kentucky Derby just because he drew the inside post position. Well, after what happened, Baffert's lucky he got his horse back in one piece. And, of course, he did win the Preakness next time out. But uh, my dad wasn't too far from wrong for uh, making that suggestion, actually, because uh, that was close to a complete disaster. For Well, it was a disaster in terms of uh, how much of a chance looking at Lucky had to win the race, but it almost turned into a disaster. He could have very well come out of the race uh, the worse for wear, let's say. So... Uh, but when it got down to seven post positions left, I started marking it down, and then we got down to six, and then we got down to five, and still no nobody on the rail in essential quality with no post position, and we got all the way down to three, so a one in three chance <laughs> for essential quality. I mean, out of twenty, 
And I'm sitting there going, you got to be kidding. Really? You're going to put him right? You know, he's going to get that rail, and uh, Known Agenda got the rail, and uh, Essential Quality ended up okay in post-14. Now, that said, how about this, guys? There hasn't been a winner of the Kentucky Derby from post-14 since Kerry back in 1981. So we're 1961, I should say. So we're sitting here saying, well, we don't want, if you're the essential quality people, you don't want the rail. Well, there's been a winner more recently than that. That was Ferdinand in 1986. So you're trying to get a post position that's actually worse, you know, statistically. Uh, and uh, But I would certainly rather be in post 14 than post 1. And one thing that's affected those post positions, you know, during your lifetimes, you guys, we've had mostly 20, 19 horse fields. That wasn't the case when I was growing up. We didn't have these, you know, a 20-horse field was more the exception than the rule, and now it's the rule, not the exception. So that's had a lot to do with that inside post position, and at least they have the new starting gate that they implemented implemented last year, which is uh, 20 stalls. So that helps in the middle where you don't have that gap, and that actually a role in that traffic congestion down toward the inside too because that horse that would break from post 15 often would go toward this open space between the two gates and that would kind of start those horses toward the outside pushing down toward the inside and uh, that's why you really don't want to be probably in the first three post positions at the very least and maybe the first five post positions so now, Note Agenda drew the rail. For him, it's not really too bad because he's a come-from-behind horse. And, look, he's got the best jockey in the country, to me, a red Ortiz. So if you're going to draw the rail, you got Ortiz. That's okay. I mean, you know, is he going to have to work out a, a trip to not get, you know, uh, tra- stopped in traffic? Yes, but he's got the right jockey to do it. And as I say, at least there's been a, a, a winner more recently than for from post four team for essential quality uh highly motivated uh post uh, number uh ten i i should say at ten to one on the morning line he drew post seventeen there's never been a winner from the in the Kentucky Derby from post seventeen How about that so he's going to try to do something that's never been done before now I say that, and my selection for the Kentucky Derby back a few years ago was I'll have another and I was sitting on the HRTV set during the post position draws for the Kentucky Derby. I was sitting next to Millie Ball and I won't repeat what I said when I'll have another Drew post 19 because this is a family show <laughs> but I, I, I you know I, I thought well there goes the Derby but on my way driving home from uh, the HRTV studio at Santa Anita, before I got home, I thought to myself, look, if he's the horse I think he is, post-19 is not going to probably stop him from winning. The fact that he's not the horse I think he is is why he won't win. And so I'm not going to change my pick. I'm going to stick with him. And look, he won the race. He, he ran down Bodie Meister and won from post-19. So my point is you can overreact to these post positions quite a bit. 
The other uh, couple of contenders in here, post position wise, uh, the second favorite on the morning line, Rock Your World, he got post 15. What's interesting about that, post 15 <laughs> seems to be better than post 14. Why? Because we had a winner from post 15 last year. That was authentic. So while there hasn't been a winner from post 14 since 1961, we've had a, a winner from the post position right to the outside post 15 last year. So that shows you these post positions can be a little bit overblown in terms of their importance. And the other horse that's a contender in the race, Hot Rod Charlie, who's 8-1 to one on the morning line, drew post 9. That one hasn't done well in a long time in terms of producing a winner either. Reaver Ridge in 1972. So there again, you'd be sitting there saying, well, what would you rather have for Hot Rod Charlie, post 1 or post 9? Well, there's been a winner from post 1 in 1986, but there hasn't been one from post 9 since 1972. And you heard the reaction from the uh, Hot Rod Charlie camp there. Certainly, uh, if you gave an award for the biggest cheer for your post position, it would have been Hot Rod Charlie. <laughs> yeah, they definitely did make some noise when he drew that. Um, one one last question on the pace that I want to ask you, John. Uh, it seems like most of the speed... Uh, outside of maybe, you know, 15 Rocky World, 19 Soup and Sandwich. But you've got, you know, Mandaloon that I think will show speed, Medina Spirit, Hot Rod Charlie, Midnight Bourbon. They all draw 7, 8, 9, and 10. With the speed drawn that close together, do you think we've got a shot for a hotter pace because they're all right there together and kind of competing right out of the gate together? Yes, that would be a recipe for possibly uh... – a faster pace, but you know, the point of the thing is without Cattle River in this race and without a concert tour in this race, I'm not expecting this to be what you would call a hot pace anyway. I mean, it should be an honest pace, but not a hot pace. So even though those horses are together, that, that will fuel it a little bit, but I, I don't think that's going to have a huge impact. Remember, these riders know they've got to go a mile and a quarter in this race, so I mean, you want to get good position. You want to be forward early, especially with those horses, because those are pace horses. I mean, they're horses that want to be on or close to the pace early. And the Kentucky Derby in recent years, since the point system, has been won by horses in that position. So these riders are aware of that, too, that you don't want to be coming from the clouds, because that has not been uh, ideal in terms of winning the Kentucky Derby. I've never felt it's ideal for winning the Kentucky Derby anyway, ever since I came up with my strike system many years ago, because that's one reason I focus so much on who's going to be first or second at the eighth pole. And we'll get into that more as we talk about these horses. Yeah, so that brings up a next, you know, let's just get into it, because obviously it's a 20-horse field, and uh, each horse has a, has a story. And, you know, and it's been super interesting before we do get into that, though, because I, I wanted to ask you just, you know, from a personal standpoint, it's been like, how nutty has this been to you in terms of every horse seems like, for like at least the, the, the outside, like 10, like, you know, just every every day, it's like, well, this horse isn't going to run. This horse isn't going to run. We're going to bypass. It. And it's like every time, like, have you ever seen so many horses bypassing, bypassing? And so all of a sudden, horses like King Fury, who a few weeks ago didn't look like he had much of a shot to make the gate. He's in. Hell, uh, you know, uh, Brooklyn Strong, who hasn't got points since December, he's in. So it's like, how how crazy has this been as far in terms of history when it comes to, like, actually 
you know, getting these, like, don't you think there's like a big chunk of these horses you can kind of just toss? Well, it shows how you guys are starting to get some uh, real experience in looking at the Kentucky Derby, because that is the case. It is unusual. And, uh, I mean, these other guys typically would have been on the outside looking in, and, uh, you know, we didn't even have to have an also eligible here, as it turned out, and uh, you didn't need many points to get into the race, as it turned out either. So, um, no, I I don't recall a, a Kentucky Derby with this particular dynamic, and uh, it is rather interesting. But I think the biggest affection was Caddo River by far, and it makes me lament that Concert Tour, for whatever reason, that he needed more time, evidently, uh, coming out of the Arkansas Derby, uh, isn't in the race. Because without Caddo River in the race, I think Concert Tour would have had a really, really, really good chance to win this race. Uh, I think the only thing that could have maybe stopped him would have been, obviously, if he's just not a mile and a quarter horse. And that's something all these horses have to prove. But I think he would have had one heck of a shot to be first or second with an eighth of a mile to go, particularly without Caddo River. I wouldn't have expected this pace to be uh, too hot. I mean, for instance, even like Rock Your World, they're not going to go rocking and rolling early, I, you know, to be crazy about it, uh, they actually would prefer not to be on the league, quite frankly. So, I mean, it shows you they would love to stalk early. Uh, but if it turns out that they're going to be in front, that's fine, too. Uh, but we'll talk more about that as we get to that particular horse as we go through these horses. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm excited for Rock Your World. Uh, and so we'll start going through the horses 1 through 20. Uh, I got to tell you, before we start, John, you're going to convince me. I've got three horses that I'm, I'm going back and forth on, on who to pick on top. So after this show, I'm going to pick. So let's start with one that I'm not going back and forth on. But we'll start with them anyway. Number one well, known agenda. No, no, let's, the go, let, let's go through the horses. I'm going to go through them. Let's go through Rather than in post position, let's mm -hmm. go through and how I like the horses. So, okay. in, in terms of the so the horse that I like the best to win the race is Essential Quality. Why? Well, first of all, what has he done wrong? He's done absolutely nothing wrong. He's undefeated in five career starts. Now, just because you're undefeated, that doesn't mean you're going to win the Kentucky Derby. I can tell you that. And a perfect example of that is Native Dancer in the 1950s, who's one of the greatest horses of all time. And he went into the Kentucky Derby uh, perceived as an absolute lock. In fact, a gentleman went, withdrew his mother's life savings from the bank and bet it to win on Native Dancer in the Kentucky Derby. And he lost in a photo finish to Dark Star. Native Dancer had trouble, traffic trouble on the first turn and still almost won the race. And it was the only defeat of Native Divers' entire career, Native uh, Dancer's career, Native Dancer back in the 50s. Can you imagine having to come home to your mother and saying, well, I got some news, Mom. I bet, made a bet on the Kentucky Derby today, and we got beat in a photo, and uh, please don't check your uh, balance in your bank account anytime soon. So, uh, you know, there's an undefeated horse that didn't win it. But listen to this. Think of these horses that weren't undefeated going into the Kentucky Derby that you would say, well, yeah, this is the horse that certainly uh, you would like a lot to win a Kentucky Derby, American Pharaoh. He wasn't undefeated. California Chrome, Street Sense, Silver Charm, Sunday Silence, Winning Colors, Ali Sheba, they weren't undefeated. 
spectacular bid. He wasn't undefeated. Affirmed. He won the Triple Crown. He wasn't undefeated. Of course, American Pharoah won the Triple Crown, and he wasn't undefeated. And here's another Triple Crown winner who wasn't undefeated, Secretariat. He'd lost twice going into the Kentucky Derby, including a race two weeks before the Kentucky Derby, and he didn't even run second. He finished third <laughs> behind Anglelight, his stablemate, and Sham, who ran second. So my point is that when you really look at it in the context of history, essential quality is going into the race better than some of the all-time greats who weren't even undefeated going into the race. So that's one thing. And another thing about essential quality, he's got, uh, he is the type of horse who's not pace-dependent. And that's, that's the sign of an exceptional uh, equine athlete. He, you know, if the pace is slow, he can show early speed as he did in the bluegrass. If it's a moderate pace, he can be set in contention early and kick on home and win, as he did in like the Southwest Stakes. If the pace is fast, as it was in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, he can be way off the pace early and produce the needed uh, rally to win. So that's a huge plus for him right there. He's also won on a fast track, a wet track. I mean, now look, last time out, he did, you know, almost lose. You know, it was close. He lost, he won by just a neck to highly motivated in the bluegrass. But something to keep in mind, and this is where Trackus is a helpful tool these days, he traveled 29 feet farther than highly motivated that day. So, yes, he only won by a neck. But he ran a lot farther than uh, the runner-up did that day. So now you have to be a little concerned that such a hard taxing race will take a toll on him. That's possible. Um, you know, another thing that's a bit of a concern is his last uh, couple of workouts, especially his last workout against Spa City. He never really got by him in the workout and, and actually lost ground on the gallop out. But Cox, Brad Cox, who has become one of the premier trainers in the country, uh, the Eclipse Award-winning trainer from last year. This is a guy that you really want on your side in these big races these days. And uh, he has seemed very pleased at how Essential Quality is coming into this race. And one final thing about Essential Quality. You know, he doesn't have the best buyer speed figure coming into this race. And that's, gonna, that, that's uh, one of the reasons people, you know, are trying to beat him in terms of their picks. But I have a higher opinion of thoroughgrass figures than I do buyer figures, generally. Now, I thought that the thoroughgrass were off uh, on greatest honor earlier this year, and that's one reason I like Known Agenda to win the Florida Derby, which turned out to be the case. But by and large, you know, nine times out of ten, the thoroughgrass numbers are better than the buyer numbers. And essential quality comes into this race with the two by far, really, on thoroughgraph scale, figures into this race. He got a negative half, and with thoroughgraph, the lower the number, the better. He got a negative half in the Southwest Stakes and a zero in the Bluegrass Stakes. Now, the next best thoroughgraph numbers a one and a quarter for highly motivated in the Bluegrass. And then the next best numbers, the a one and a half for known agenda in the Florida Derby. And you say, well, what about Rock Your World? He had the 100 buyer in the Santa Anita Derby. That's the best buyer figure. It's the only triple-digit buyer for anybody in the race. Uh, what was his thoroughbred? It was two and three quarters, which is a far, far cry from Essential Quality's two best thoroughbred numbers. So 
and horses will run more to their thoroughbred numbers than to their buyers. So that is yet another reason to like a central quality over rockier world. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's let's let's those two you just mentioned um, are two horses that I'm considering to pick on top. Uh, so and obviously, I think I've given the post position from Hot Rod. I would throw him in there as well. So. I, I mean, I can't argue with it. I mean, essential quality. It's like, what has he done wrong? And I think the biggest thing for me with him is, you know, do, does the, his does his value come into play at all? Because two to one, morning line, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, you know, we, we got five to two on Pharaoh. We got five to two on Justify. Is two to one too low on him? Well, I wouldn't say it's too low if he wins, because if he wins, you're, anybody else you bet, you're losing. So, <laughs> you know, that's where, where value sometimes gets kind of thrown out of whack. In other words, you know, if he loses, it doesn't matter what his price was in a way, too, because if he was 20 to 1, you know, the world would want to bet on him. But if he doesn't run well enough or he happens to have trouble and can't win, what for whatever reason he doesn't win, it doesn't really matter what his price is because you're not going to cash your ticket. The flip side of that is if he wins, you're tearing up your win tickets on bets on everybody else too. So, uh, And the one thing, he's going to be a short price because James McInvale is going to bet anywhere from 2 to $4 million to win on this horse in this race. So, you know, that's something that uh, American Pharaoh would even have to, con- you know, consider. If, if McInvale had bet 2 to $4 million to win on uh, American Pharaoh, his price, he would have been a shorter price there. He would have been, you know, like around 6 to 5 7 to 5 because that much money does impact the price, even with as huge a win pool as we're dealing with in the Kentucky Derby. Beyond now, next for me, the the horse I'm picking second is Rock Your World. Uh, he did well in the post position drop. Fifteen is good. He's not down there toward the inside, where he would have been under pressure to have to really gun out of there. Uh, you know, it's certainly a, a plus in his uh, for him to have Joel Rosario, who certainly you know is a rider that can win races like this and has won the Kentucky Derby. Um, this was the horse with the best buyer speed figure coming into the race. I mean, that is to his credit, and particularly when you consider it was his first race on the dirt. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was really a knockout race. And then his gallop out after the finish, which is one of the reasons I got on him early in his career. You know, when he won, this is one of the things, guys, about being in fantasy leagues, because I'm in a fantasy league that I've been in since 1990. Uh, that is not just three-year-olds, it's for the whole year, and then I'm in your fantasy league, which has been a lot of fun. And uh, But it makes me keep a real sharp eye out for these horses early in the year, obviously. And um, when Rock Your World won his uh, first race, which was on New Year's Day, it was a six-furlong grass sprint in Santa Anita. And, you know, here's the case. He only won by a length and three-quarters. But right then and there, I thought, wow, this is an impressive horse. This is a horse to mark down, especially because he's by Candy Ride, who's had a lot of dirt horses. And Candy Ride himself set a track record when he won the Pacific Classic at Del Mar going a mile and a quarter, a track record that still stands that he set many years ago. And uh, Rocky Rules out of an Empire Maker mare. And Ember Maker could have been a triple crown winner. This is one of the only things I got Bobby Frankel 
to admit uh, that he made a mistake because I told Bobby Frankel myself. I said, hey, Bobby, you cost yourself the Triple Crown. And he said, eh, what do you mean? And I said, well, let's review. I said, you won the Florida Derby, and you could have then run in the Santa Anita Derby, but instead you sent him to New York to run in the Wood Memorial Instead of running on a nice, fast, dry track in California, in New York, you ran on a wet, sealed track and came out of the race with a foot problem that you couldn't train the horse like you wanted to to the Kentucky Derby, and you thought you might win the Kentucky Derby anyway, and you came close to doing it, finishing second to Funnyside, and of course, then you turned the tables on Funnyside in the Belmont, and he said, well, you're right. I mean... That was one of the major accomplishments of my life was to get Bobby Frankel to tell me that I was right and he was wrong. So, uh, you know, that's – and Ron McAnally, who trained the great John Henry, bred Rocky World. So this horse – this is a horse that really got on my radar. And then the Pasadena Stakes, the the burst of speed he showed with Rispoli in the stretch that day was breathtaking. And again, his gallop out that day was unbelievable. I mean, you just don't see horses. He was like 10, 15, 20 lengths in front on the gallop out after the one-mile Pasadena. Now, here's a case where speed figures fool people again because he's only getting these 82s. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a lot better horse than an 82 buyer speed figure. So, you know, and even his thoroughbreds weren't high. He got a seven and three quarters in his debut, and then he actually regressed and got an eight and three quarters. So, but again, to me, I could see there was a lot more there than than what those speed figures were saying. And so when he went, I thought after the Pasadena, I thought this is a horse that uh, certainly could go to the Santa Anita Derby. In fact, off his maiden win, I was kind of thinking they might go to the San Felipe. But what I did not know is that John Sadler had hatched this brilliant plan, which was to run a couple of times on the turf and then go to the Santa Anita Derby. And people say, well, why would you do that? Well, there's two words that uh, explain his decision for that. Bob Baffert. Because when you run in maiden races in Southern California or the stakes races, Bob Baffert's won practically all of the three-year-old graded stakes races here for the last couple of years. Uh, the only exceptions being Honor AP in the Santa Anita Derby last year and Rock Your World in the Santa Anita Derby this year. Other than that, Baffert's won them all with somebody. And so why would you knock heads with Baffert when you can go against non-Baffert horses in the turf races? It's brilliant. That's It's one of the most brilliant plans I've ever seen. And as Sadler admitted himself, a lot of times you come up with a plan and it doesn't work. Well, this one worked beautifully, as we all know. And what impressed me, without knowing what Sadler's plan was, was when after the uh, Pasadena, he right away he said, we're going to the Santa Anita Derby. And that indicated to me that he wasn't afraid of life is good. Because at that time, life is good was running in the Santa Anita Derby. And it really impressed me that he had no fear at all of running against life is good so then life is good goes on the shelf with a hind ankle injury and now you're looking at rock your world saying well without life is good in there you know sadler you could tell thought he had a chance to beat life is good so now you take life is good out of the equation and i realize that rock your world certainly could possibly win the santa anita derby now which of course he did he went right to the front came home, uh, you know, 
increased his lead in the stretch, and again, his gallop out was spectacular. Now, about that gallop out, you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt for this reason. Medina Spirit and Dream Shake were absolutely just completely spent toward the end of that race. They were really tired. So they were neither one of them were going to gallop out very good. But this rockier world just seems to just keep going and going. I mean, as as Sadler has said, he's got a high cruising speed, but he can carry that high cruising speed a classic distance, meaning a mile and a quarter and farther. So he's the real deal. And uh, as I say now, on the flip side, rockier world might not even be the best three-year-old colt in Sadler's barn. So you're going to tell me that a guy can win the Kentucky Derby with a horse that's not even the best horse in his barn? (laughs) And that could be the case, because I'm going to tell you right now, if I were to pick, you know, if we were drafting for, like, the future and say, which horse do you want as a real owner? You know, I get to own one of these horses, Rock Your World or Flightline, I would take Flightline who was absolutely sensational in his career debut last weekend and got a 105 buyer and did it geared down toward the end, you know, running furlongs of 108 and change. So, you know, can a guy really win the Kentucky Derby with his second best horse, you know, in his barn? Well, I think he can. I think that's certainly a possibility. I think that is very interesting, yeah, because Flightline, if you guys didn't see it last weekend, just an amazing, amazing uh, special weight debut uh, for the Sadler Barn. Um, You know, I'm with you on Rocky Royal. There's so many good characteristics about him. Um, Here's my worry, and I'll ask you about it. Just one race on the dirt, and I get the plan, and I agree with you. The plan was great. But would you like to see just one more effort on that dirt before we go into the Kentucky Derby, the biggest race of his life up to this point? Well, that's an outstanding question. And I will say this. There is a little bit of a concern based on what, what the guy that I believe is the greatest trainer of all time once told me. Mm-hmm. And that would be Charlie Whittingham, who I miss dearly and spent a lot of time with. And Charlie told me more than once. And tr- no. Practically nobody had more success in this sport switching horses from turf to dirt than Charlie Whittingham. Uh, I mean, his record in doing that was phenomenal. And he told, told me more than once that he felt that with grass horses, that when he did it, when they ran on the dirt for the first time, that would be their best race on dirt. And for he felt that then, like, their subsequent races would not be as good as that first race when they switched to the dirt. Mm. So that's always something I've kept in mind. But what I think mitigates that with Rock Your World here is I don't think Rock Your World is a turf horse. See, what we're talking about with Whittingham's horses that came from Europe and South America that were turf horses that he then switched to the dirt. Horses like Cougar II and Perot and Greenton. Uh, Rock Your World, for all intents and purposes, was a dirt horse because of how well he had trained uh, that they just decided, because he also had the pedigree to run on the turf, because Candy Ride was a multiple Group 1 winner on the grass in Argentina, and Empire Makers Dam, Tucson, 
was a graded stakes winner on the turf and produced uh, numerous graded stakes winners on the turf. So there's a lot of turf in that pedigree. So they weren't afraid to run him on the turf. But they weren't he, – he, he's not what you would call a turf horse, like I'm saying of the horses that come to this country that uh, have nothing but grass races and are, would be considered grass horses. You know, horses like Gold to Colva. It would be like switching Gold to Colva to the dirt or something like that. So uh, that's one reason I'm I, – in this case, I'm not concerned about it. I think – See, people like to label horses and, and uh, you know, jump to conclusions. And because they ran him on the turf a couple of times, people were thinking, well, he's a turf horse. No, not necessarily. He's just happened that the guy hatched this plan to try to stay away from Baffert and decided to go ahead and run him on the turf a couple of times before he ran him on the dirt. So that would be my answer to that, that I'm not overly concerned about it. But what Whittingham told me does sit you know, in my memory bank. So that gives me a very, 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 very slight pause here because if Whittingham's right, then Rocky World won't run quite as well this time as he did in the Santa Anita Derby. And, uh, you know, that's a possibility for a number of reasons anyway. He's had to ship for the first time, and he's going to run at Churchill for the first time. He's going to mile and a quarter for the first time. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons Rocky World might not run as well, you know, as well this time as he did last time. He could bounce because he ran by far the best race of his life if you go by buyers or the thoroughbreds. So, uh, you know, that's why, you know, there are questions about him still, or he would be the fa- you know, if we didn't have these questions, he'd be the favorite. But but there are questions about him. You know, he didn't run as a two-year-old. There's another thing. And that's been pretty much forgotten, but I haven't forgotten it because there's only been two horses in the history of the Kentucky Derby to do it. One was Apollo in 1882, and the other was Justify in 2018. And think of how many horses like Curlin and the many others have tried to do it without running it too. Now, that's mitigated a little bit to me because Rocky ruled if his maiden race had been one day earlier, he would have run as a two-year-old. So you're talking about somebody who was on the cusp of this. It isn't like he made his debut, you know, in February. But look, Justify debuted in February and still did it. So in a way, Rock Your World is ahead of Justify. And by the way, that's another reason I think just Rock Your World is certainly him. Uh, he's, he's, you know, if Essential Quality had run the rail, I actually would have given some consideration to switching and picking Rock Your World. It's that close between them to me. And uh, because Rock Your World is coming into this race every bit as good to me as Justify. And Justify, I mean, that neither one of them ran at two. They both were three for three going into the Kentucky Derby, and they both won the the Santa Anita Derby by daylight. So, you know, there's there's he's like the latest version of Justify. So, you know, if you like Justify, you certainly have to respect Rock Your World. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> shocker here, but you know, we had Ryan on the show on Blinkers Off last week, and he went on a spiel about Rock Your World, and. Uh, you know, he made some, you kind of made some of the same points you're making. And one thing uh, from someone like myself that started off pretty heavy against Rock Your World and it's every day, it's grown, it's grown, it's grown. It's like, ah, oh, you know, I, I kind of see it now. I kind of see it. And to your point, I agree. It's like, he doesn't look like a turf horse. He just ran twice on the turf to start his career. And I, I kind of had to get that mentality out of my head, like, okay, this isn't a turf horse that's going to win the Kentucky Derby. It's just a, a Kentucky Derby horse that started on the turf. And so you kind of have exactly. to... Exactly. 
That's distinguish right. That's that, the, that's a good way to look at it. Exactly. Because I mean, you look at you know, it's a high purchase price candy ride. You know, the dam is from an Empire Maker, uh, so it's like makes sense uh, from a Conderby. You look at this; it's like this horse wins. You're like, okay, well, I, I mean, look at the, it was the writing was on the wall, so to speak. All right, um, third choice. What do you got? Third choice, known agenda, and that, here's a case where again, like I say, I, I don't think you have to panic because he drew the one hole. He's going to be well off the pace here anyway. That's his running style. But if you're going to have to be trying to come from well off the pace and have, you know, from the inside, there's nobody you would want better here in this situation than a Rad Ortiz Jr., who, as I say, I think is the best jockey in the country. And secondly, another big thing to like about Known Agenda is he's got four mile and an eighth races under his belt. I mean, that's so unusual for the Kentucky Derby. And now, you know, when we look at these horses like Rock Your World and so many of these that are coming in light and experienced, you know, the fact that uh, Known Agenda, I mean, and he's not tremendously experienced, he's only got six career starts, but with four of them at a mile and an eighth, that's what you call a foundation. And that's one of the things of what, what you're looking for for horses that had run as two-year-olds was to get some foundation under them. And Known Agenda's got a, a, really just a, you can't fault him in terms of foundation when you're looking at the fact that he's got four mile and an eighth races. But he's also the type of horse that I typically shy away from because of the fact that he's with his come from behind style. Again, I'm looking for horses to be first or second with an eighth of a mile to go in the Kentucky Derby. Why? Because 52 of the last 55 Kentucky Derby winners were first or second with an eighth of a mile to go. And that's why the strike system comes into play here, because what you need to do to avoid getting a strike in my eighth pole categories, you needed to have been first or second at the eighth pole in your most recent start going into the Kentucky Derby, which is always a shorter race. And the fact that no agenda not only was first or second in both of his most recent races coming into the to the Kentucky Derby, he was in front in both of those. And in the allowance race, he was five in front. And even in the Florida Derby, he was a length and a half in front already at that point. So that tells me he has the capability to be in that prime position to win the Kentucky Derby. He could be first or second with an eighth of a mile to go. And again, you know, for when you look at the at the speed figures, he popped up with his best in the Florida Derby of his career in 94. But uh, it's even better when you go with the thoroughgraphs because he's got the fourth best figure of the entire field in this race. Uh, and, you know, the only two horses that have a better thoroughgraph number are essential quality and highly motivated. So he's got a lot going for him in this race. Of course, Pletcher's won the race before as well. And, um, so, you know, there's just uh, a lot to like about known agenda uh, in this race. Um, you know, and, and his jockey, like I say, is, uh, you know, he's a guy that he, he's just special. He's just, you know, he, it's like how did Cannonade win the 1990, 1974 Kentucky Derby that had the record 23 horses in it? And that was, was such a rodeo that that's what led to the cap of 20 for the Kentucky Derby because they were so worried that if once you get more than 20, you're really playing with fire to have an accident. 
And we came close to one, uh, you know, with the maximum security Kentucky Derby anyway. So 20 is really too many. And that's another thing my dad said many times. And it's true. 20 is too many. But it is what it is. It's the Kentucky Derby. And, you know, so we'd have to deal with the 20. But, uh, you know, like I say, back in 1974, the Cannonade won purely because Angel Cordero Jr. was such an outstanding jockey, he avoided trouble in that race that was filled with uh, mayhem and traffic problems for so many horses. And, uh, you know, we really should have had a triple crown winner that year in Little Current. By the way, I'll just tell you a really quick story, because people that listen to this podcast, you know, these are the type of things that, uh, you know, a little, little tidbit like this. But Little Current, that was the first year I started working in racing, getting paid to be involved in this great sport. That was 1974, and I got hired by the Daily Racing Forum, and I'm working at Playfair Racecourse in Spokane, Washington, my hometown. And the first morning I was told to report to the racing office for the morning work that you do for the Daily Racing Forum, I did. And there was a gentleman by the name of Wilbur Brook, who was very experienced for the racing forum at that time, and he he was sending in over the teletype. That shows you how old I am. We're talking about the teletype machine. He's sending in the workouts to the <laughs> Seattle office of the morning workouts that day. And I happened to see a name on his sheet that he's sending in the workouts. And I said, Wilbur, I said, if I were you, I would not send in the workout of that horse. And he bit my head off, snapped it off. He yelled at me. He said, this is your first day. These are official workouts. And you're telling me not to send this workout in? And I said, well, I was just trying to help, and I backed off. And then, so he sent some more workouts, and then he paused, and he turned around, and he says, well, why did you tell me that? And I said, well, I really don't think Little Current, who won the Preakness and Belmont Stakes as a playfair this morning, working out. He said, <laughs> Little Current? I said, yeah, that's who you're sending a workout in for here, and I don't think they've shipped him from Saratoga to playfair for a workout this morning. You know, maybe yeah. I won't send that workout in. And so the next morning when I showed up, he thanked me for telling him not. And what had happened is the trainer of the whoever the horse was, when the clocker said, who was that horse? The guy said, little current. And they were trying to see if they could sneak it into the racing form to see if they could fool the, the official clocker. <laughs> So that Sounds 19, like something Jared and I would do. <laughs> that, that 1974 Derby, you know, like I say, was why... You know, and it, but it, that shows you a guy like a Cordero can win on Cannonade, who was like maybe the fifth, sixth, eighth best horse in the race. And this is why a guy like a, a Rag Ortiz can win the Kentucky Derby on Known Agenda, who I consider to be better than like the fifth, eighth, or tenth best horse. I think he's in the top, you know, five for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think if you're going to draw the rail, that's who you want on your horse. No question about it. And he's on fire right now, too. All right, let's go to your fourth uh, choice. Uh, we're going to go with Hot Rod Charlie here. And there's a lot to like about him. I could see him winning. First of all, a big plus for Hot Rod Charlie and highly motivated is uh, Jared Welch has him in the dude's fantasy league. And that <laughs> Jared is so lucky in this league why do I say lucky? The guy doesn't even show up for the draft in December and ends up with horses like Hot Rod Charlie and highly motivated. I mean, you know, other teams sit there and sweat bullets and, and uh, are at the draft and, and really working their tails off. 
this guy, what the heck? He's not even at the draft and ends up with two real contenders for the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> All hey, you know what? Alterman did the hard work for me. I just gave him a list, and he he just he just read it off the list. So all the credit goes to him. Well, that's where I say I remember at the draft every time we'd get down, and and uh, Aaron would say, "Well, I can't believe this horse is still there because I know Jared's got to be thrilled to get him." And so yeah. I'm saying that shows you that uh, heck, that's the way to do it if you can end up horses <laughs> as good as Hot Rod Charlie and highly motivated, but. All kidding aside, Hot Rod Charlie, I mean, first of all, he's got a trainer who's won the Kentucky Derby twice. He fits the bill here in a lot of respects. I mean, he's another horse that I could see first or second with an eighth of a mile to go. He's similar to essential quality in that, uh, you know, he, he won the Louisiana Derby on the pace, but that's really not even his preferred style, you know. But one concern I have about him is, you know, the way that Essential Quality overtook him late in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile at a mile and a 16th. I mean, if you look at that race and say, who do you want at a mile and a quarter? Personally, I would want Essential Quality. But the fact that Hot Rod Charlie, who at that time was totally dissed, he was 94 to 1 that day, but, you know, he improved dramatically once they added blinkers to uh, Hot Rod Charlie's equipment. And, um, uh, you know, again, to have a trainer who's won this race twice, that's huge. And, uh, you know, uh, he, again, he's not dependent on, you know, if the pace is fast, he can sit off of it a little bit. Or if it if it isn't all that fast, he'll be right there, you know, on or just off it. I mean, there's a lot to let. And Flavian Pratt is one of the top jockeys we have. I get to see him on a, on a weekly basis here in Southern California. And, I mean, this guy, he is special. There's just no getting around it. And, uh, I mean, how special is he? He won a Kentucky Derby without even crossing the finish line first. <laughs> I mean, that's how great that guy is. He didn't even cross the finish line first, and he's got a Kentucky Derby victory to his credit. So, um, you know, like I say, Hot Rod Charlie, definitely a contender in my book. Yeah, you got to think, uh, he's thinking, even though I won, all those connections, Mott, Pratt, are like, Let's, let, I'd like to actually win one. You know, let's finish first. Let's, you know, because that was such an. It was such, I mean, yeah. Halterman. Halterman was there, uh, and it's like it's such a weird. It was like everyone's like, "Well, you didn't win, but you did win." It's, I mean, it's such a weird feeling. So I'm sure the guy would actually like to win one to say that you kind of get that stigma off of him. Uh, yeah, no, he drew great. Um, obviously, super happy with you know to to look back and say you know I drafted you know basically two choices that are 10 to 1 and lower in the Kentucky Derby back in December got to be feeling pretty happy about that so um, that's really to your credit and I will say this another plus for Hot Rod Charlie coming out of a, a win in a mile and 316th race I'm not yeah. thrilled about the gap in the spacing although that's what O'Neill liked about this is he wanted to have the gap from the Louisiana Derby to the Kentucky Derby so I'm, again, this is what the trainer wanted, and uh, but to already have one beyond a mile and an eighth is not something to be taken lightly here. When we're having to ask the question of all these horses, can you win going as far as a mile and a quarter, and to have a victory under your belt and a clear-cut victory and earning a good buyer speed figure in the race of almost a triple digit, I mean that this horse is definitely a contender in this race. There's no if ands or buts about it to me. I, I am. I do want to ask you just personally, John, because I know one of your biggest, you know, uh, you know, touts or whatever you want to call it, takes was obviously 
trying to beat uh, Bodie Meister with all of another in the Kentucky Derby. Of course, Doug O'Neill trained as well that year. You know, how does he compare? I know you're obviously not as high on on Hot Rod, just given you're not picking him, and you had all have another that year. Uh, but how does he compare? You know, I know Doug O'Neill has made comparisons in some of the quotes as far as how he's coming into the race. Of course, you know, uh, he won the Santini Derby that year. You know, Hot Rod won the Louisiana Derby. So how did you know? How did he? You does he compare anything to you as far as when coming into this race, like all have another did? That's a very good question. Uh, before I answer it, let me say it will be a, a quite a feat by Doug O'Neill if Hot Rod Charlie wins in terms of this. He will have won it with a horse that came out of a Santa Anita Derby win, and I'll have another, a Florida Derby win with Nyquist, and a Louisiana Derby win with Hot Rod mm. Charlie. So to win three Kentucky Derbies is one thing, but to do it three different ways, you know, I don't think you could – minimize what a, an accomplishment that would be. Um, I personally don't think Hot Rod Charlie at this point is a, has shown that he's as good as I'll have another. I'll have another gun on my radar when he won the Lewis in 140 and change on a track that wasn't all that fast. And here again, I think his buyer was way off that day. And, uh, I mean, it takes a real special horse to win like he did that day, but he was a huge long shot that day. And that's one of the reasons he didn't, I think, get the credit that he deserved for winning the Lewis. Uh, how much was he lightly regarded? Well, in my fantasy league, you get to make two claims a month, and he won the Lewis. And I got all the way to March 1st. You know, that was in February. And, and we got to March 1st, and nobody had taken him in my league uh, and so I put a claim in for him on March 1st. I also bet on him in the future book that day, and uh, I didn't even have to shake for him in my league. So he was all, he wasn't even respected, uh, you know, going into the Santa Anita Derby. And he had to run one two in the Santa Anita Derby, or he wouldn't have been able to get into the Kentucky Derby. So that's where I thought Gutierrez rode a very cool race because there was more pressure on Gutierrez in the Santa Anita Derby than in the Kentucky Derby. And that people would say, well, no, how can that be? The Kentucky Derby is a bigger race. Well, it is a bigger race, but he had to get into the race. And if Gutierrez had screwed up the Santa Anita Derby, I'll have another who I think if he'd run in the Belmont would have been a triple crown winner. Uh, he wouldn't have even gotten into the Kentucky Derby. So that's what happens when these guys play it close to the vest. So trying to get it, you know, either the graded earnings back in the day or the points these days. Uh, same thing with Hot Rod. You know, Hot Rod would have been, although as we talked about at the beginning here, it turns out you didn't need all that many points to get into the Kentucky Derby this year. But uh, Hot Rod, uh, though, you know, he's there's a lot to like about him, like I say. Ever since they've added blinkers to his equipment, uh, he's proven that, uh, you know, and he should, we're talking about essential quality as the horse to beat. He's the two-to-one boarding line favorite. Well, this horse, you know, gave him a very good run for his money in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. I mean, so he's already shown that he's right there with essential quality, and, uh, you know, a lot has happened since then. It's not impossible that hot rod charlie has improved since then where maybe essential quality hasn't improved quite as much so i mean it wouldn't take that much for him to turn the tables on essential quality that's i think you have to really respect hot rod uh in this race uh, but again when you look at that lewis uh this year it was run in late january i mean 
that race was run in 146 and change. And as I say, I'll have another. I mean, he ran that race way, 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 way much faster. So I, I just think going into the Kentucky Derby, I'll have another. It already proven he was a better horse than Hot Rod has shown to this point. But don't forget, we're dealing with three-year-olds. And these horses not only are changing radically now, but they'll change from here throughout the rest of the year. You know, horses that maybe aren't all that good now will blossom later this year and vice versa. So um, that's part of what makes this so fascinating is that these horses can change so much from two to three. You know, there aren't, haven't been many Breeders' Cup juvenile winners win the Kentucky Derby. And there's a, one of the reasons is because if you're a good two-year-old, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good three-year-old. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Jared is so damn lucky in this league to have highly motivated <laughs> and hot rod Charlie on his team. It's ridiculous. Um, and by the way, uh, like early March, that looked pretty pretty bleak. Like it wasn't like <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It, it, it didn't like neither one of them were running. Uh, of course, you know he got third in the in the Gotham for highly motivated, which wasn't great. Yeah. He uh, hot rod looks okay in return. I mean, he runs a great race, but he doesn't win. He gets third by a bo- you know by a bob, and you're just kind of like, well, it really all came to 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 to, to fruition in late March. So hey, I'm like I'm like the Zenyatta of the group. I was in last like towards the end, but now I'm making my run. I'm gonna win every leg of the Triple Crown, and I'm gonna win this thing. Yeah. Now he's comparing himself to Zanjana. What a guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, is this, does that mean he's undergoing a sex change operation? That's what I want to know. <laughs> hey, it's another podcast, times, John. You never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, let, let's get back on track. Uh, John, who do you have next? Next, I have Medina Spirit. And uh, we can go through him rather quickly because of basically what I can say here is he has zero strikes on my Derby strike system, which is trying to forecast the Kentucky Derby winner, the horse's chances to win the Kentucky Derby, both tactically and historically. And so he's perfect on that. He's only, only two horses have ever outrun him. Life is good twice and rock your world. Once you get Bob Bafford, a record tying six time Kentucky Derby winning trainer, and Johnny V, a three-time Kentucky Derby winning jockey, and you get a 15-to-1 morning line. So, listen, and he's trained well. Andy Harrington, who's a private clocker here in Southern California, was on the Santa Anita handicapping uh, program with Tom Quigley, Quigley's Corner, and was really, that's just the horse he feels has trained the best coming out of California. Uh, And that, look, Harrington's got enough of a good opinion. Just two weeks ago at Santa Anita, he had he was picking horses that were paying like forty dollars uh, on that program. So, you know, Medina Spirit here is not one to take lightly. He's a hard trying horse. I mean, it would just be like Bob Baffert to have lost Life Is Good and Concert Tour and these other horses that didn't make it to the Kentucky Derby and win it with this horse. That is hardly hard to envision. I mean, that's not hard to envision at all. So I say watch out for Medina Spirit here. Uh, watch out. That, that's the best two words I can say about him. Watch out. <laughs> I love that. That's great. He, he scares the hell out of me. I'll be honest. Yeah. Because it just, it does, you're exa- you said it exactly right, uh, John, because that's like how I, I was like, you know, wouldn't it be so damn typical? Like everyone's kind of just bypassing Bob because it's like, ah, he lost life is good. He lost concert tour. It's like, forget it. 
and then it's like you can almost like close your eyes and see Bob Baffert doing his post-race quote or you know his interview about it. it's like well you know I always like Medina Spear You're like what like so you know it does some, definitely has a feel like he I'm with you he's one of those that I'm gonna be using because you just I mean there's not much sicker than getting like if if you if you get beat by Bob Baffert in the Kentucky Derby it's kind of your own fault right. <laughs> Well, you know, guys, if he wins this, too, it would be rather interesting to see, would he really be interested in trying to spoil his own Triple Crown and run concert tour in the Preakness <laughs> against Medina Spirit? See, these are the types of things I like to kind of look ahead of the curve, and that would really set things up uh, interestingly because, you know, concert tour would certainly be a major player in the Preakness, to say the least. And, you know, do you really want, as I say, to try to spot, you know, be your own, you know, thorn in the side and stop yourself from a possible triple crown? So <clears throat> from that standpoint, to me, it would almost be interesting to see Medina Spirit win it just to see what would unfold from that standpoint. But because uh, it wouldn't shock me that if then Concerture suddenly wasn't going for the Preakness and, you know, but maybe he would. I wouldn't rule it out either, you know, because you've got to deal with those owners, and it's Gary and Mary West, and, uh, you know, do you really keep him out of the Preakness if he's doing well going into it? Uh, but, boy, it just raises a lot of questions that would uh, would be quite interesting to see how they would get answered. All right, so Medina Spirit, what's next? Then I got a horse that's continually moved up. He was off my top ten coming out of the Louisiana Derby. He, because of the defections that we've had of horses uh, that were con- candidates for the Kentucky Derby, he find- he got back onto my top ten, and he's been climbing on my top ten, and he's now he's up to number six, and that's Mandaloon. And one reason I have him as high as I do is my respect. Uh, now for Brad Cox. I've grown to have more and more respect for Cox. And Mandaloon, after the Louisiana Derby, had dropped off my top 10. And then through the defections for the Kentucky Derby, uh, he climbed back onto my top 10. And he's been climbing on my top 10 to now he's all the way up to number six. And I, I really appreciate the fact that Brad Cox did not concoct some kind of an excuse for Mandaloon in the Louisiana Derby. Most trainers would have come up with something. He didn't like the track or this or that. I mean, trainers typically have a list of about 100 excuses that they can come up for the owner or the media. And uh, Cox just said, he's fine physically. We have no re- idea why he didn't run better. We just hope he had a uh, an off day. But, uh, you know, Cox is like Baffert to me. I've been able to kind of get on the same page and and really decipher what he's saying, whether it's negative or positive. And the way he talks about this, Colt, um, you know, I, he, he's liked him all along. And look, this is the guy that's training the favorite, essential quality. So this is another horse I say look out for here is Mandaloon. Um, he he could be really dangerous in this race. Yeah, he's one that uh, Halter and I have talked a lot about because it's like, Mandaloon's one race away, you know, say he runs well in Louisiana Derby, he's top two, three choice, you know? So it's like, if you can just kind of scratch that out, which I get is hard to do because it was so bad. But if he, he runs, a, if he wins Louisiana Derby, he's like, what, second choice, maybe? Third choice? Mm-hmm. So he, he would have been one of the favorites, no doubt about it. 
So if you can kind of get past that, and if he looks, I mean, he looks great on the track, and all signs say that he's he's going to be ready. So to me, I agree um, for a horse that is going to be a, a, somewhat of a price. Uh, he seems like one that you know is worth playing at fifteen to one. All right, what you got next? Next, we're going to go to highly motivated, and this is a horse that uh, you know he's kind of a tough call here. I, there's pluses and minuses. Uh, whatever, what are his pluses? Well, he's won at Churchill, and he did so so impressively in that Nyquist Stakes. Um, he he's got talent. I mean, this is one of the things when we talk about these horses, you know, how talented they are is something that kind of just just purely, you know, their talent gets overlooked, and that's the thing about a Rocky World Essential Quality, um, you know, that they're exceptional horses, and this is a horse that. Uh, you know, I think is very talented, and that makes him dangerous. He's also eligible to be first or second with an eighth of a mile to go. That's another thing that uh, makes him uh, a contender. He He's buying into mischief, who, who sired last year's Kentucky Derby winner. He almost beat the favorite last time out. I mean, you, can't, you don't have to go any farther than that. Uh, and he did it on the lead, which they don't want him to be on the lead. They want him to be a bit off the lead. So it, well, he was taken out of like his comfort zone and almost won. Now, on the other hand, like with Essential Quality, did that race, you know, could it knock him out? Um, he got a career best buyer, 97. He got a career best thoroughgraph of a one and a quarter. Um, as I say, that's the second, that's, he's the horse with the second best thoroughgraph number in this race. The central quality has got the two best thoroughgraph numbers. He's got the next best one and that's from the bluegrass. So, but on the other hand, the central quality ran a lot farther than he did, you know, 29 feet farther in the bluegrass than highly motivated. So that's kind of a drawback for highly motivated. I'm not sure he's a mile and a quarter horse. I think that is a big question with him. Um, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's not, but uh, there's, there is a chance he's not, uh, that, that last furlong is a concern to me with him. But if I'm right, and he is one of the two that's first or second with an eighth of a mile to run, he's in that prime position and he's got, look, a multiple eclipse award winning trainer. There's a lot to like here. Um, he's certainly someone that I put on the list of, uh, you know, contenders for this race, for sure. Even though we don't have him ranked. At uh, number seven. Uh, but that shows you, and especially once. But at this point, our horses with the capability of winning this race, he, he definitely does. He's got an outstanding jockey, too. Another thing, Castellano, so. You know, there's there's a lot to like here, but there are some questions. Yeah, you know that that's the thing with me. You know, obviously, another horse I like, highly motivated. It's like <laughs> if you if you like essential quality, like obviously we we all like essential quality. I mean, you, I, it's hard for me. A lot of people are like crossing out highly motivated, and it's like, well, if you like essential quality, how can you not like highly motivated? Those two ran great uh, in the bluegrass, and like you say, the throwgraph backs that up. So I'm with you. I. I Draw, you know, drawing outside, he's going to have to make a little bit of a run to get a position. Obviously, we talked about earlier with that early speed being to his inside. I don't think he's going to be on the lead, uh, but he's going to have to make a little bit of run. It just seems like that last, you know, they turf for home. Is he going to have that gear to to run down a lot of – he's going to have to run down a lot of good horses. Uh, and so that, to me, is the concern for, 
highly motivated, but uh, I, he's going to have to, I don't know, he'd have to be up a, a little bit bigger price for me uh, than t- at 10 to 1 in order to play him. But wouldn't be shocking if he won. All right, what do you have next, John? Next up, we're going to go to Midnight Bourbon. And this is, here's another horse. I mean, he's very consistent. He could be first or second with an eighth of a mile to go. He's the horse that, out of Louisiana, he's the one that if you took the cumulative uh, performances of the LeCompte Risen Star and Louisiana Derby, he would be the one that would get the best grade, uh, even though he didn't win the Louisiana Derby. But at least he finished second. You know, he won the LeCompte. He was third in in the Risen Star. So, you know, He's a horse that's been in a position to win the races and hasn't been able to seal the deal in the final furlong. So that's, again, a concern stretching out to the mile and a quarter. I mean, how's he going to win at a mile and a quarter when he hasn't been able to really seal the deal at a mile and an eighth or a mile and three sixteenths? He did at a mile and a sixteenth, but it's the longer races where he didn't have that, that needed punch in the final furlong. On the other hand, you know, he's by Tisnow, and Tisnow won, of course, two Breeders' Cup Classics and won it very gamely. He's one of the gamest horses I've ever seen, that Tisnow. He was very John Henry-like, that if you, you get into a battle, more often than not, Tisnow or John Henry are going to win in the photo finish. And, uh, you know, he's still the only two-time Breeders' Cup Classic winner, so... At some point, you think, well, maybe Midnight Bourbon's going to say, hey, that's right, I'm by Tisnell. I can win <laughs> at a mile and a quarter. So, you know, he's a horse that with his consistency, you can't cross him out, you know, of a possibility of winning this race. And I've said it for years, uh, Steve Asmussen, you just feel like he's the guy that one of these years is going to win the Kentucky Derby. I said that before winning colors. I said that for many years with D. Wayne Lucas. In fact, I told Gary Stevens when he rode Tank's Prospect in the Kentucky Derby, and I had to interview him for the Daily Racing Forum. After the interview, I said, Gary, the interview's over. Now I'm just going to tell you something personally. I said, you're riding for the right guy. I said, because there's only one human being on the planet Earth that I promise you is going to win a Kentucky Derby someday. And if you ride for D. Wayne Lucas, it increases your chances that you will win a Kentucky Derby. And, of course, they teamed up to win with winning colors. Not that same year because Tank's prospect didn't win for Lucas, but down the line it was winning colors and Gary Stevens. And I feel that way about Asmussen, that it's only a matter of time before the guy wins a Kentucky Derby. And the other guy I feel even more about that right now is Cox, Brad Cox. The way he's been operating and winning uh, on the on the national stage, you just feel like it's not going to take him too long to win a Kentucky Derby. It's to his credit that he's representing such powerful outfits as uh, Godolphin and uh, Judmont here. I mean that you when you're training for operations like that, that in and of itself puts you in a position to win a race like a Kentucky Derby. So. Um, Midnight Bourbon and Winchell Thoroughbred. You know, there's another top flight uh, operation. So Midnight Bourbon has my respect, and I certainly would not be surprised if he finished on the board here, if he or if he got into the superfecta. In fact, I mean, he's never been out of the trifecta. He's been first, second, or third every time so far. So what are we at? What are, we've done like seven, right? Are we no, that seven? he's number he's number eight. We're up to number nine. Number okay. nine is super, super stock. 
Superstock is kind of an intriguing horse in here because he took advantage of that ideal trip in the Arkansas Derby, uh, ran the best race of his life. Um, it certainly set up beautifully for him when uh, Cattle River and Concert Tour, you know, contested that fast pace, and they just set the table for him, and they were, you know, rubber-legged in the final furlong, and Superstock said thank you very much and went on and won. <laughs> but he's an improving horse. Um, again, it's Asmussen, so you have to give him credit. You know, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart, uh, heart for the horse because his dam is by closing argument. And in the early days of my strike system, it was my strike system and particularly that eighth pole factor that made me pick closing argument. He was my top pick in the race, and I bet him in the future book. He went off at 71 to 1, and why did I like him? I thought he had a very good chance to be first or second at the eighth pole. Well, he was in front at the eighth pole and just got beat a half a length by 50 to 1 shot Giacomo. The closing argument was 71 to 1. I mean, think of that. Picking a 70 to 1 to 1 shot is your top pick. And I do take pride in that he still holds the record for the biggest place price in the history, payoff in the history of the Kentucky Derby, $70 for a $2 place ticket. So this is a grandson of closing argument. And uh, so just from that standpoint alone, I kind of have, a, as I say, a, a sentimental uh, attachment to him. And um, But, you know, we're starting to get more toward uh, the outsiders now as we get further down the line. So number ten, let's do number ten. So you give us your top ten, and then let's start grouping these together because I think, sure. like like you're saying, like once you get past top ten, um, I do want to know who you like. But obviously, in fact, I'll like, tell you what we can do is I'll give you number ten, and then I'll read eleven through twenty, and then you can ask me about any of those horses <laughs> that you have any any okay. want any further information on. All right, who you let's got at ten? At ten, moving into ten this week. And one reason he wasn't on the top 10 is because he was one of the ones on the bubble that we didn't know was going to have the points to get in, or he might have been toward the bottom of my top 10 list before this, and that's Obesos. Uh, this is a horse that, um, you know, I moved him at 10. I don't particularly like him a lot to win the race because I don't think he's going to be first or second at the eight, with an eighth of a mile to run, but I could certainly see him in the uh, superfecta here. I mean, but he's he's kind of the epitome of that type of horse that completes the exact at a big price or completes the trifecta at a big price or completes the superfecta at a big price. He ran a terrific race in the Louisiana Derby, and the way he was closing that day, you just have to think a mile and a quarter is uh, going to be right, you know, up his alley, as they say. And, uh, look, he's a, his uh, sire won the Kentucky Derby, but his sire was good enough to be second at the eighth pole with a furlong to run. So if Obesos can do that, that would give him a shot to win the race. I'm not sure he can do that, but uh, so he it, can he win it? It's not impossible, but I would be surprised if he won it, but not surprised at all if he's second, third, or fourth. Yeah, it's a big problem for me that Obezos seems to be the the horse everyone's talking about the the, the wise guy horses you call yeah he's the wise guy horse there's no doubt about it so you, i agree <laughs> he does seem like a horse that not going to get tired could get up there for sec you know for second or third and at a huge price but um yeah winning the race seems uh like seems like a, a little bit uh of a stretch all right give us 11 through 20 and then i'm gonna have you we'll have some questions for you 
Okay. So at 11, and this is a horse that I actually think really could, first of all, I think it's not impossible for him to win, but I certainly can see him running second, third, or fourth here, and that's, and he's 50 to one on the morning line, and that's keep me in mind. Uh, he His training was compromised there at Oakland, and I think his form's muddled. I think he, don't forget, he ran a pretty darn good race in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and then won the Kentucky Jockey Club at Churchill. So I've seen worse 50-to-1 shots than this by far. So he's 11, then 12 is Dynamic 1, 13 King Fury, 14 Helium, 15 Soup and Sandwich, 16 Sainthood, 17 uh, Bourbonic, 18 Brooklyn Strong, 19 Like the King, and 20 Hidden Stash. <laughs> Sorry, Haltman. There goes your top pick, Hidden Stash. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. I'll. I'll start with Soup and Sandwich because it seems like everybody asks us about this horse. I mean, you got him at fifteen. At any any kind of interest in him at all to play him, even in the bottom of something. Well, he's very talented again. Uh, he's so light on experience, but he's very talented, you know, and the fact that the Cassie's so high on him, and that means something to me, uh, you know, the fact that Cassie was so high on War of Will was one reason that uh, Ryan Stillman and myself drafted him in your league, and we got a Preakness win out of him. Uh, you know, Cassie is another guy that is pretty not hard to read in terms of when he talk, how he talks about a horse, whether they love them, whether he loves them or not. Uh, even horses that have never run, his track record is pretty good in that regard. Um, so, uh, you know, and I think he's going to be forwardly placed here, especially from his post. They're going to have to use him early. Uh, they, could, they may pay the price for that late in the race. But, uh, you know, he's another one that I think it's not impossible for him to actually be in the thick of it all the way. He could be first or second at the eighth pole, which would give him a shot to win. On the other hand, it wouldn't shock me if they use him early and he's up there and then he falters and he ends up, uh, you know, way back. So, uh, and there's probably a better chance to me he's going to finish way back, which is why I have him at 15. But uh, he certainly, if he, you know... One thing that's really made the Kentucky Derby hard for those of us trying to uh, handicap it is that in back in the day, we had a lot more to go on. Horses had run a lot more. And the fact that they're so lightly raced coming into this race now makes it uh, murkier. You know, we can't be, you know, as dogmatic in our thoughts about it. So, uh, and that's why when we see horses like a Justify win it, uh, you know, with only three races under his belt and he didn't run it too. I mean, if he had done that like in 1978, the whole racing world would have been turned upside down. So, you know, racing has changed. Um, that's why it's a shame Rags the Riches isn't in the Hall of Fame because they got too many stupid people on the Hall of Fame voting <laughs> block that think that you have to run a bunch of times nowadays to merit inclusion in the hall of fame instead of what you've accomplished even in a few starts and when you accomplish something as historic as uh regs to riches did plus she won more grade one races than uh winning colors and uh genuine risk so 
you know, this is a case where she should be in the Hall of Fame. It would be great if she's on the ballot again this year. It took her forever to get on the ballot, and now she's on the ballot again. And um, hopefully she could get in this year because Todd Pletcher is absolutely slam dunk to get in. And I know how I've talked to Todd. Uh, he's been happy that I've been a big supporter of Rags Riches getting in the Hall of Fame. And it would be the being the world to him if she were to go in the same year as, as Todd. But I'm not – I'm – I'm not too optimistic because evidently there's just too many people voting for the Hall of Fame that don't understand how racing is different in these days than it was in the 1950s and 60s and even even 20 years ago. You know, we didn't see Kentucky Derbies with it used to take a lot more pages just for the past lifetime past performances of these Derby horses, and now you know we we have a lot fewer pages and so. You should be judging the the contemporary Hall of Fame horses by the contemporary racing, rather than racing, you know, from years and years ago. So, uh, you know, I, I okay. So I think I don't I don't want to have uh, ask Halsterman yet because he's probably still trying to say you know he's running the numbers on what his pick's going to be here. But obviously, <laughs> you like essential quality on top. You you mentioned that horse being the one, two to one morning line favorite. How do you make money in this race? You know, one of one of the one of the bigger well not one of the the biggest trifecta the you know racing dudes ever hit was a trifecta in the Kentucky Derby with always dreaming winning the race. But yet we got looking at Lee and we got Battle of Midway to run second and third and the thing just skyrocketed it's like $4100 for a 50 cent uh trifecta. So there's still money to be made. So out of the like maybe that top 10th or 11 through 20 of yours, what horses Maybe will you be looking at playing underneath that could make this, uh, you know, the tries or, you know, any kind of those kind of wagers skyrocket? Well, the first one is uh, keep me in mind. I think people should definitely keep him in mind for that uh, situation. <laughs> because, like I say, there's worse 50 to one shots than that horse by far. Now, I'm a little concerned. I don't necessarily think he's improved at three from two, but we don't know again because. There's extenuating circumstances involving him. That winter weather that uh, Oakland experienced, I mean, this horse missed many days of training. I mean, his whole schedule got thrown off. And a lot of people say, well, to win the Kentucky Derby, you've got to have everything pretty much go without a hiccup from January 1st on. And generally that's true, but it's not totally true because I've seen horses have something of a hiccup and still win the Kentucky Look, Secretariat had a hiccup two weeks before the Kentucky Derby and won it. So it, it doesn't have to go perfectly. It's good if it does go perfectly. And it, like with the central quality, it essentially has gone perfectly. And so it has with Rock your world too. That's one reason I have them one too, is because it's gone really beautifully for both of them. But keep you that's why you're getting the huge price with keep me in mind is because of the extenuating circumstances here that makes his form look worse than it maybe should be. Uh this workout he had the other day, guys, <laughs> tells you right there. I mean this horse went out there and worked forty six and change at Churchill, best of 108 at the distance. So that's telling me that he may run a heck of a lot better than what we've seen from him this year. And as I say, you know, he was 
not embarrassed in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile against the horse that's the two-to-one favorite. But the difference here is two-to-one and 50-to-one. I mean, I wouldn't say it's completely wacky for a guy, if you're trying to be bold and be like some people are, I didn't pick closing argument on top because I was trying to be a wise guy. I picked him because I thought he had a good chance to win the race because I thought he might be first or second with an eighth of a mile to go, and he was, and he almost won the race. But keep me in mind is not, to me, it wouldn't be like the wackiest if some guy just put him right on top. Because when you figured that he wasn't, you know, as I say, completely embarrassed by uh, keep me in mind, uh, essential quality in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, uh, you know, and this is where one or two races can really affect a horse's price. Thunder Gulch, you know, ran a bad race before the, he'd won the Florida Derby, then ran a bad race in the Bluegrass, and uh, he bounced back and ran big. But, uh, I mean, this horse only got beat two lengths by essential quality in the Breeders' Cup Jubilee, and he only got beat three and a quarter by essential quality in the in the Breeders' Fraternity. But, I mean, here's a horse that got within two lengths of the horse that's the two-to-one favorite, and... He might be more than 50 to 1. I don't know. I mean, but he's going to be, you know, a huge price, whatever it is. And so he, he's definitely one. Oh, Bezos is another one because he's going to, even though he's a wise guy horse, the fact that there's 20 betting interests means his price is still going to be, you know, decent. Let's put it that way, whatever it is. I mean, he's not going to be 5 to 1 in here, I don't think. So he's a good one. He can spice up those uh those uh, situations. Another wise guy horse is dynamic one. I mean, he's kind of another one of these wise guy horses, and he's a horse that he could. He's not impossible to win the race, although you know I'm not on board. But uh, he certainly could finish in the Superfecta at a nice price. So uh, there's some possibilities right there um, that I would say. Yeah, I think those are two very good ones as well. I, 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 the keep me in mind situation. That is so good that you pointed out the Oakland thing because that was a mess, and he just kept getting pushed back and back. And really, this is kind of a third race off of a, a layoff that they did not want him to take. You know, if you remember, he was pointing for the Southwest was supposed to be in February. So, yeah, I like that. All right, John, we have covered this thing. Uh, we could talk for hours. We have talked for hours before, but unfortunately, we got to get to work and got to start, you know, making these picks and putting together the Kentucky Derby wagering guide for everybody. Um, any final thoughts before we sign off here, John? Well, my final thought is that uh, sometimes there's a tendency to, in these bigger races to try to make it more complicated than it really is. Mm-hmm. In other words, let's start with the proposition, who's the fastest horse? Well, if you go by thoroughgraph, that's clearly essential quality. If you go by buyers, it's rock your world. So I don't think you have to go straying too far from that right there. Now, is that, uh, you know, a bold statement? No, it's the favorite and the second favorite. <laughs> but there's a reason they're the favorite and second favorite. On the other hand, the Kentucky Derby, we've seen wacky things happen in it. And uh, look, as I say, you can have the best horse and not win the race. When Point Given left Southern California after winning the Santa Anita Derby, I was convinced he'd win the Triple Crown. He ran the worst race of his life in the Kentucky Derby and then won the Preakness in Belmont as a, a horse that should have won the Triple Crown. 
So, you know, there's so many examples in the Kentucky Derby of the best horse not winning. So essential quality, you know, we're not even 100% positive he's the best horse. It could be Rocky World. It could be someone else at this point. But even if he's the best horse, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win a 20-horse field in a 20-horse field. So, like I say, Little Current should have been a triple crown winner in 1974 in a 23-horse field. So the Kentucky Derby always gives you pause. Uh, but I don't think this is really that complicated to know who has the best chance to win it going in. And the two horses that have the best chance to win it are essential quality and rock your world to me. And then we go from there. So from a, yep. my perspective, after the race, I feel that the best chance is that it'll be either essential quality or rock your world draped in the uh, roses. All right. There you go. Uh, Halterman, did that help you? Yeah, yeah, I said it kind of at the top of the show. I was between three horses, Essential Quality, Rock Your World, and Hot Rod Charlie. So I, I think your case for Essential Quality, based on my thoughts on him, that's who I'm picking. I'm going to go Essential Quality on top. So it, well, helped, that, it did help. Like I, like I say, that's – and look, we all love it when we beat the favorite. I mean, that's yep. that's why I take such pride at Santa Anita and making the morning wine and being having the right favorite over 70% of the time every year yep. at every meet because that as handicappers, that's the first thing these days people are looking, who is the favorite going to be? And we know in this case, because if there was any doubt, when we have a gentleman who's saying, I'm going to bet anywhere from two to $4 million to win on the horse, it's pretty clear who the favorite's going to be. And that's <laughs> essential quality. So we all love it if we can beat the favorite because you get a better price. You feel it's great for your ego because you feel like, hey, I beat the horse everybody likes. So, I mean, I, I get it. But there's nothing wrong that if you like a secretariat or you like a Seattle slew or, or a spectacular bid or, you know, uh, that these are horses that were favorites. And, you know, at this point, I, I was on essential quality off his maiden win because he showed right there he was special to me. That's one reason I picked him in the Breeders' Cup. I bet on him in the Breeders' Cup against a very heavy favorite in Jackie's Warrior. And he, in his debut sprinting, he had a troubled trip that day. Andy Serling has said many times, this horse has had an ideal trip every time. Well, I guess Andy Serling might have been on Mars or something when this horse debuted because that was far from an ideal trip. And he's not a sprinter, really. You could tell he's a long-striding horse that would be better going farther and he overcame all that and won, you know, impressively that day. He won by four lengths, going six furlongs. He's not a six furlong horse, but he showed he showed that day that he's a very, very good horse. I I wouldn't call his trip at the at the Breeders' Cup ideal, really, either. Um, so I, I I would agree with I. You know, I would I would tend to agree with that. So there's two out of yeah. five that you might yeah. say are to deal, and yet we have a commentator saying, hey, every time he runs, he's had an ideal trip. So let's see what happens if he doesn't have an ideal trip. And look, I have tremendous respect for Andy Sterling. I do, because he's one of the few New Yorkers that ad admits he's wrong sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, And he's a very sharp guy. I mean, he yeah. that's one reason I do listen to him. I don't listen to a lot of commentators because most commentators don't really know that, all that much of what they're talking about. And he is a sharp handicapper. So I have 
that's one reason why I'm a little surprised he has said that this horse has had an ideal trip every time. Because, and trips are important to Andy. So uh, in this case, I think I just disagree with him. I don't think this horse has had an ideal trip all every time. And I would tend to side more that the Breeders' Cup, you know, I'll bet if you asked Brad Cox after the first half of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, do you think Essential Quality is having an ideal trip? <laughs> do you think the answer would have been yes or no? And I'm voting that his answer would have been no. I would not call this ideal. Yeah. I mean, he was like sixth, seventh, you know, and in and, and, and quite a ways off that pace. And, and for a horse that's been stocking or at least, it, well, that first he race. He was eighth. Like said, he was eighth. Yeah, he was eighth. Yeah. So, and to your point, John, the biggest point that I think you made was the horse can win from all different ways. And the biggest win of his life, at least in my opinion, it was the only grade one win of his career. Well, I'm sorry, it was his second. Uh, but, but the biggest one, he won from eighth. And I think that's important going into a race like this. So I'm with well, you. And let's not forget, I mean, yeah, not Hot Rod Charlie was 94 to 1 that day, but Hot Rod Charlie's also one of the top choices in the Kentucky Derby. And that horse looked that's like right. a that horse looked like a winner. And he had to run that well, that's horse. A, that's a that's another reason why I'm saying when you look at fifty to one on Keep Me in Mind, who finished a respectable third in that race, there's your horse to me that is the ideal horse to try to spice up any of the exotics yep. because he is a live horse at 50 to one on the morning line. The breeders kept juvenile tells you that. Yep. And the, and the, and the final work, like you just mentioned a little bit, little bit, little bit ago kind of confirms that, yeah, he's ready to run. So, um, John, I mean, we could talk forever and we will be talking forever for the next couple of days. Uh, uh, privately, but yeah, thank you so much for being on Blinkers Off. Thank you for being on the show again. It's just a tradition like no other, and so we thank you. Well, uh, it's my pleasure, guys. In fact, I've looked forward to it from the standpoint that we have traditions like mint juleps at the Kentucky Derby, the singing <laughs> of my my old Kentucky home, and now we have the tradition of my appearance on the podcast with the dudes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, John. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. There we go. John White. That's uh never fails, man. We uh you leave the uh leave the show just uh, feeling like you're smarter than when you started, right? You know, it's it's the guy is just an encyclopedia of horse racing. He's a gift to horse racing, and I, I truly mean that. Very lucky to call him a friend. I, I say that every time we do this. And uh, you know, when we interview him, it's either a very calming influence or an oh shit moment. I can remember last year we were talking about the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and I brought up Jackie's Warrior. He goes, no, 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 Essential Quality is going to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And I had Jackie's Warrior everywhere, and I thought, oh shit, I'm in trouble. Um, thankfully, <laughs> we're pretty much exactly alike with our picks, uh, John and I, this year. So I feel good. Uh, Nona Jin is the only one. He's got him a little higher I don't like him quite as well, but uh, everybody else, we pretty much match. So I, I come out of this feeling good, and that's that's a good feeling as I will literally start the wagering guide uh, and, and putting that together once we get done with this. No, you're right. And, you know, you look at, you know, even like back at like a thundersnow situation when we thought he was out of his mind. And, mm -hmm. yeah, he the horse was was a complete jackass. But look what Thundersnow ended up doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he was obviously a very good horse. And had he not had the freak out, you know, you never know. But the point is, is, like, when he 
when he opens his mouth and gives you a horse, kind of like keep me in mind. I'm, I'm like, I didn't like that horse really going into here, but now I'm like, son of a bitch, like you know, like when he when he's on a horse, you might want to include this horse underneath just because it's John's pit, you know, John likes, and that's uh, you know, and I I don't like to do that with lot, any handicappers, but John's the exception. It, that's exactly right. Uh, you're right. If I, I and that's not really a disrespect to any other public handicappers out there. We have some that we like personally and and professionally, but he's one of the few that can sway an opinion. And the reason why he can do it is a he he's proven time and time again that he knows and and, and he swayed an opinion and it's worked. And the other reason is that there's just not many guys with a resume like John White's out there in horse racing. That's right. All right, let's do it. Uh, you guys, make sure we you know we have to get off here because we are gonna we're working on the wagering guide right now. So go over yep. to racingdudes.com, click. I mean, nearly anywhere on the site, but click the big Racing Dudes Premium button on the menu, and you can get our get access to our Kentucky Derby wagering guide. Uh, the pre-sale's going on right now. By the time you're listening to this. I, it might be available, it might not, you know, but, you know, stay tuned, you know, we're yeah. working on it and we, you know, we take in all the information we can. We don't just throw something out there like earlier you know, people are like, where, why can't, you know, why is it not available? It's like, well, we're not going to just put something out there to sell it to you guys. Like we, I mean, we want it to do well. There's a, right. a one of the parts of the guide is literally Halterman and I's picks together. We will be at the track. We'll be making every single bet ourselves. So it's how we do as well. We're going to make the mm-hmm. right picks here. Or at least try to, right? And so uh, that's what we're doing. So go over there, get it. If you just subscribe to our premium, you can get our month premium. You can get it for free. So really the best way to do that is because the Preakness will fall in there. You'll get both the Preakness and the Derby Wagering Guides for free uh, for $70 and when it would be 80 to buy each guide. Remember, go check out all our shows, the Magic Mike Show, Blinkers Off Again. We'll be all, You guys will be sick of us by the time the, uh, the, uh, the Kentucky Derby is over. We'll have tons of content, racingdudes.com. Make sure you check us out. All right, Halterman, let's get busy. we got some work to do. I'm Jared Welch. He's Aaron Halterman. More coming this week, and uh, good luck in the Derby. No!